Welcome to another edition of the Knoll Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Carver Carls. It is Saturday, December 31st, the last day of 2022, and I'm joined by Essen here to talk about Florida State's 35-32 win over Oklahoma. Uh, Florida State, 10-win season, the 25th in school history, their first since 2016. Let's get to it, Essen. Just give me your overall impressions of that game, some of your takeaways, uh, what, do you, what do you think it kind of means for Florida State? Yeah, I mean, I think it was fairly obvious. I think we talked about it before the game. There, there's going to be some um, struggles. They look flat coming out a little bit. It's been a month since they last played a game, and that was evident in the first half. They struggled a little bit, but once they got going in that offense in the second half, 11 points in the first half, 24 in the second half, once they got going, it's fairly obvious that you know we that same explosive offense we saw was back and ready to play. Johnny Wilson, big play machine. Trey Benson was limited, but Treshawn Ward looked, de- you know, pretty good. Like back, he was back to hundred percent. And then Ontario Wilson, you know, final game at Florida State, six seasons, made some nice plays, made some big plays, scored a touchdown. Um, Biscuit, um, Mark Houston Douglas had a pretty good game as well. Um, so it was a overall good. I think um, interesting thing I saw about Mark Houston Douglas was he played a career high in snaps um, for Florida State. I wonder if that was partly to do with Cam McDonald's early drop. Yeah, yeah, maybe. That was a pretty bad drop. Uh, and I think things were kind of spiraling at that point. And you needed a little bit of a, a mix-up. But, uh, yeah, just talking about that game, I mean, it was really sloppy. Uh, at, at the beginning, the offense wasn't really – Finishing drives, it's, it's kind of like, uh, looked like October Florida State a little bit there. But uh, overall, I, I think this game, you, you come away with it with a lot of optimism just because it was such a uh, punctuation to their season. Uh, Ten wins is a huge deal considering where this program was the, the last you know handful of years. Uh, but also, I mean, you're an FSU fan – how much fun was it to watch this season? You know, I, I mentioned it in my column after the game. You had the LSU game with the block extra point. You had the Louisville game with the Tate Rodemaker heroics. You you had the Florida game, the, the storm in the field. And now this one, you know, th- there have been a lot of crazy games this season. We've seen the bad side of it, too, like at NC State. But, like, what a fun season it was to watch if you're a Florida State fan. Uh a lot of reason for optimism, obviously going into 2024. But uh, this, like, I think people have made the point that, like, no, this was not anywhere close to the best team in Florida State history. But it was one of the more likable Florida State teams, at least in recent memory. And I mean, there was nothing more uh, telling than the Jastin Turn team. Injury, and I know you wrote about that, Essen. But I mean, how how amazing was that to see the team kind of flood out uh, from the bench and and support them like that? Yeah, no. So I got a few texts after the game, and just like you know, random people like the culture that Norvell has built is amazing. Random fans, not Florida State fans. I got a bunch of texts about you know saying that, which is really interesting because, like you mentioned, they were talking on the national um, um, on the national national broadcast how special it was to see that moment. You know, you talk about culture, you talk about family. Every team claims to have it, but for Florida State, it actually seems legit. It actually seems like, you know, they care about each other. You know, I think one of the interesting things, and we haven't really talked about it, is Trey Benson and Jared Verse are roommates. <laughs> you know, how many times have you seen offensive player and defensive player that are roommates? You know, they're talking about the Tennessee game where um, Hooker and Milton are roommates. They're both quarterbacks. So it's interesting to see a defensive player, offensive player uh, as roommates. And Jared Verse and Trey Benson, whenever we had them together for um, interviews at post game, were always like you know just bouncing off each other really well. You know, Jamie Robinson was one of the first people to comment after the game about the situation with Jazz. So it was interesting to see just how much love, how much brotherhood, how much the team genuinely cares about each other. And it was a not a great moment, but it showed the country. You know, losing Jazz turn team sucked. That was not great. You don't want to see probably the end of his football career, at least the end of his college football career, end that way. But to see the brotherhood, to see 
how much they care about each other on national audience. People got a glimpse of not just how good Florida State was this year, but how great the culture, how great the locker room was as well. Yeah, you can always kind of tell, even even just watching practice, watching how players conduct themselves in interviews, just like how close guys are. You know, I, I've been to schools, I've been to post-game press conferences where it's almost like, you know, uh, you know, we're we're buddies, but that that's about it. But you really feel like this team is pretty close, and you know, you hear uh, a guy like Alex Atkins, the the offensive coordinator, he'll talk to you about how, you know, anytime a transfer or recruit is trying to uh, learn more about them, they don't have just the starter talk to that guy. They'll have the fourth string guy on there to kind of show them like, hey. Even our fourth team O-lineman is, is relatively happy and has had a good experience. That's kind of the confidence that Atkins has, at least at his position group, where he'll say, like, hey, uh, you can talk to anybody. You don't have to just talk to Robert Scott. Like, I want you to talk to the fourth team left tackle and see what he thinks. Uh, and I think that kind of speaks to the confidence they have in their, in their culture in, in that regard. But I also remember a conversation I had with uh, Jeff Colhane at the beginning of the season where he, he had talked to, to Charlie Ward. And Charlie said, you know, this, this team has very much a family-like atmosphere that they haven't had in many, many years. You know, didn't have it under Willie Taggart, didn't have it under Jimbo Fisher. It, like, th- this is a team that, that for sure, like, kind of invites more of that and so, yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. But uh, go, going back to the game, uh, let's let's first talk about just Jordan Travis and, and also Johnny Wilson. Uh, but but first with, with Travis, it's a career high in passing yards for him, 418 yards. Uh, had some drops, too. I mean, it could have been almost 500 yards for him. I mean, that Johnny Wilson uh, drop alone probably would have gotten him to 500 yards. Uh, but – I mean, just what a season for that guy. Uh, I saw his brother on Twitter after the game talking about, uh, hey, everyone questioned if this guy could, could throw a football. Like, where are you guys now? You know, they're, they're kind of doing their victory laps. But, uh, no, I mean, you, you have to start thinking about this season for Travis as, you know, one of the better seasons for an FSU quarterback in recent memory. And, and one of the best seasons for a quarterback in college football this year. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was just, uh, like we said, punctuation to the season for Jordan Travis. Yeah, I mean, I posted some um, PFF numbers, and I'll have a PFF article later tonight, um, tomorrow. But um, pro pro football focus, um, Jordan Travis recorded the season best grades in overall offense, 92.8, and passing, 92.1. And then right now, among all quarterbacks in D, um, in Power five, Jordan Travis leads quarterbacks with a 91.8 overall grade per pro, pro football focus. So Jordan Travis, and obviously there's still games, bowl games he played. Bryce Young is 10 of 15 for 211 yards and three touchdowns as we're talking. So his grade might go up. Um, but for the moment, Jordan Travis, to, for the last day of 2022, was the best fo- quarterback in college football by PFF grades. For overall quarterback grade. Amazing, you know? And, I, and we've talked about this before. Coming into the season, I did not know much about Florida State football. I, you know, I knew from the outside narratives. I, and what I understood was Jordan Travis, was I was told, was Jordan Travis cannot throw the ball. He's not a good quarterback. Coming to my first day of practice, what, remember what I told you? I'm like, man, that Jordan Travis guy does not miss. Yeah, no, I, I I thought the same thing. Um, and I think a lot of it had to do with the the weapons he added. I'm I'm looking at it now. Uh, you know, PFF I like. It's not always the number one indicator. One one other statistic to just just throw out. Uh, he's now twelfth in passing efficiency with a hundred. He's now over one hundred and sixty uh, with his rating, which would be the best for a Florida State quarterback since. Jordan Tra- or since Jameis Winston's 2013 season. So that's better than Jameis's 2014 season. I believe it's better than any of EJ Manuel's seasons, or it might be, be- best 
It might be better than all of uh, his seasons uh, besides his last one. I, I've, I've got to refresh on that, but it is one of the better uh, seasons that that uh, has been that has been had for a Florida State quarterback. Uh, you know, in a, in a couple of decades. So pretty pretty impressive. But yeah, uh, got to talk about Johnny Wilson too. Uh, had a really bad drop to, uh, toward the beginning of the game, first half. Uh, was wide open on kind of a deep post uh, and, and was right in the breadbasket and, and he dropped it, but uh, made up for it. And, and after the game, Edison, he, he said something that just cracked me up. He, he talked about, you know, uh, you know, they, they was, there was a lot of man coverage in that game against him. And he's saying, you know, if your coach is, is uh, making your players uh, line up in man against me, he must not respect you very much. <laughs> I'm like, man, that, that is that is awesome stuff. Uh, but yeah, 202 yards, uh, not just a career high for Johnny Wilson, but a bowl record for an FSU player. So really, really impressive performance for Johnny. And uh, you know, that's going to be a guy to watch to see if if he goes to the NFL or not. And uh, if he were to go to the NFL, that would be a, a great way to in his uh, FSU career, for sure. Yeah, I think we talked going into that game. Johnny Wilson need, needs to come back. He needs more seasoning. He needs more on tape of, like, you know, what he can do. Because other than the Louisville game, he didn't have that. That's probably the only game he had where you, you could be like, oh, this guy's a dominant guy. He had a dominant game. He took the game over as a wide receiver. Now yeah. add this to his resume. 202 receiving yards. Just ridiculous. Great game. And it was not just a... Not just a 202 yards, like it was the catch that basically sealed the game where he made a one-headed catch, kind of juggled it, kept his concentration, caught it, and was probably this close from throwing a stiff arm and breaking a tackle to scoring a touchdown, which with two minutes left, probably best for Florida State he didn't score because I'm not sure that defense would have stopped a um, two-minute-plus drive from um, Oklahoma at that point. So could have got interesting there, but... Great job by Johnny Wilson because that defense was also just extremely, extremely gassed at that point. If Wilson scored, they're getting it back on the field almost immediately. And it's going to be a little different feeling. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. That I, I was telling you, I'm like, man, if he had stiffed on that guy, it, it, that would have been maybe the play of the season. Uh, it was very, it was very close to being a touchdown there. But uh, I also want to give Trayshawn Ward a shout out because this is a player who could have kind of given up or not been fully back. Uh, he missed a few, a few games with an injury. Trey Benson totally took control of that backfield. He was considered by far the best running back in that group room. I think they always thought he had the best potential in that room. You didn't see it early in the season because he, he was a little rusty and, and played in a bit. He didn't really have the feel for the game yet, but once he got it, it was very clear he was he was the best. But Trayshawn Ward did not give up. He he didn't go to the portal right away. He didn't you know opt out or whatever. Like that's going to be a guy who's faced with a decision as well with how crowded that running back room is. Does he go to the portal? Does he go to the NFL? But for this game and this game alone, he he put his head down and and he had that. Touchdown uh, in the fourth quarter to uh, help help off FSU in the end there, and uh, thought he had a really good game when nothing else was really working for the FSU running backs. Trey Benson, you know, it's what's unfortunate for him is for the year he said I'm going to get a thousand yards, and it looked like it was going to happen. He only needed 35 yards in that game. He only had 25, so he ends the year with 990. He already went to Twitter, said, hey, no, I didn't get it, but I'm getting it next year. So uh, anyway, I think Trayshaw Ward deserves a shout out <clears> because <throat> it would have been easy for him to just kind of, you know, mail it in at that point. Yeah, no, then um, we covered offense. Um, let's talk a little about um, defense. Um, like you mentioned, Ward had a great season. You know, I think he was still over 600 yards. I think people forget about how productive he was when he did play over 600 yards, scored seven eight touchdowns during a regular season. So he had a pretty good season. Um, even with quote unquote, losing his job in the middle of the season, 
you know, it's unfair. I don't, I, I, as Norvell point, you know, said it, he didn't really lose his job. It just Benson kind of took it over and they kept playing. So, um, but um, Florida State played a total of 90 snaps um, on defense, which you could tell they were gassed at the end. Um, Kevin Knowles played 88 snaps. Jamie Robinson played 86. And Thomas played, um, AZ Thomas played 73. So pretty, pretty, um, you know, Kevin Knowles was up and down a little bit, had, didn't play, um, had a decent game. But Jamie Robinson sh- should have been considered up there for MVP honors along with um, Jordan Travis because, man, that guy was everywhere. You, if, you saw, if you saw the football, you saw Jamie Robinson. <laughs> Yeah, there was there was one play. I think it may have been a fourth down. Uh, OU was in FSU territory, and uh, he and and Kevin Knowles were kind of mixed up on on two uh, a cluster of receivers. And you see Jamie Robinson waving his arms and and kind of directing traffic. And what ends up happening on that play is that communication that he had pre snap allowed them to kind of be in the right place at the right time to break up that play and, and force the turnover on downs. And, you, you know, you heard the announcers go crazy over it. But, but Jamie Robinson is just is awesome, man. And if it's it, if it's it for him at FSU, uh, what a great career that he had. Uh, but talking about that defense in particular, Jamie did have to do a lot in that game because Akeem Dent was out. Uh, you know, Shaheen Brown, you saw a lot of Jarquez McClellan in the secondary uh, but at cornerback, there was also some injuries. You saw Jerry and Jones go down with, you know, like probably a few snaps into the game, and he was wearing an arm sling around his shoulder the rest of the game. Then you saw Renardo Green go down. Then you saw Martin Cooper come in and give up two touchdowns immediately. Uh, and so, like, you know, we, we'd always talk about how cornerback was the most suspect position on this whole defense. Uh, but when you also don't have your starting safety and Nakeem Dent and you have these injuries, like that put a lot on Jamie Robinson. And uh, he's already having to do a lot lining up in the box sometimes, blitzing and stuff. But coverage-wise, uh, he had to do a lot too. But uh, I think this game went about as we expected. Um, every legit offense that Florida State played this year, they did not do very well defensively. You know, when it comes to Clemson, Wake Forest, Florida, uh, even LSU, um, might be missing one or two there. But I, I think I counted six. They averaged against those six opponents. They averaged giving up, I think, 31.9 points and over 425 yards in those games. Uh, I think their stats were kind of inflated this year because they played so many bad offenses when it comes to Georgia Tech and Miami and, and those teams. So, like, some of their statistics were a little, like, crazy. Like, oh, number two nationally and passing yards allowed? That that doesn't seem right. But, you know, when we saw them actually go up against competent offenses, they weren't the best. And I think that's why you saw this shootout. It's why you saw the shootout in the Florida game. Um, and it's going to be the biggest problem, I think, to address next year, especially if they lose – Fabian Lovett, Jared Verse, and Jamie Robinson. But for that game, you know, uh, you also have to give credit to Oklahoma. You know, they were down 4-0 linemen. They were down their running back. But it was still a good offense. Dylan Gabriel's a great quarterback. Marvin Mims is a great receiver. Braden Willis, great tight end. Uh, and I really like those backup running backs. Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk. Those are some talented guys that are going to be great players for Oklahoma. So you have to give credit to them. They would have put up points and yards against a lot of defenses, but at the same time, I think we kind of learned a lot about that FSU defense and how, yeah, they, they really aren't as great as, as we maybe have thought. Um, you mentioned Cooper, <clears throat> Amari and Cooper earlier. We had to give him some um, credit as well because um, Oklahoma was still in control of the game a little bit, was driving for – we're about to drive for a touchdown, and Cooper punched the ball out. And that allowed Florida State to take the lead in the fourth quarter. I think that was their first lead since early in the game. So Cooper did make a key play that probably without that play, you might be looking at, you know, because Florida State's trailing the entire time. You don't get an opportunity to game for winning field goal. You don't get a chance for everything else. But um, one player we kind of talked about during the game 
was Jared Verse. He had some dominant plays in you know the he was in and on the final sack to end the game, and then um, he made some big plays in the first half. But outside of that second, third quarter, early fourth quarter, he was out there, but we did not see hear much of his name. Did not see much of it, um, him doing much. He kind of got taken out a little bit. Yeah, the way the game started was pretty concerning because, like, first few plays, Jones is out. Then you see Amari Cooper go in, gets torched, touchdown. Gets torched again, touchdown. Then all of a sudden, it's like, wait, where's Jared Verse? Like, I haven't seen him make a play in forever. Like, and, and then, you know, then they're running the ball, running the ball. Both had two 100-yard rushers. They had 60 rushes that game. You know, and I know Oklahoma going into that game, they ran the ball more than they passed. They were very much a running team. Uh, but considering they had four O-linemen out, considering they didn't have their top running back, you thought, well, maybe they're going to be throwing the ball a little bit more, uh, especially with, with the quarterback situation at Florida State. But, uh, but no, they – they were able to kind of do whatever they wanted. When I think Gabriel did want to throw, he was able to find running lanes as well. They really used him as a runner, I thought, in a great way. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of concerning because Burst wasn't doing much. Cooper was getting burned. Uh, they were running the ball at will. Uh, but Florida State's defense in the end got enough stops. You know, I think that Cooper play you mentioned was was a – critical part of the game it was also huge for them when when it was 14 to 3 in the first half uh florida state got a got a stand in the red zone and oklahoma missed a field goal they could have gone up 21 to 3 there um and then florida state goes down the field uh and makes it 14 11 uh, that, that was a huge part of the game uh, it was also uh what was it? 17, 11 at one point and Florida state got a stand at the beginning of the second half. Uh, when you look at, and you track the games that Florida state's lost this year, when it comes to uh, Clemson and Wake Forest in particular, they didn't get those stops in those critical moments that the beginning of the first, second half, they gave up score. <clears throat> and so to me, I felt like they made the plays in the end of the game and Jared Verse being one of them at the end of that game, that sack that he that he combined with for for Briggs. But you know, for not being a great defensive performance, they they came through when it mattered the most. And one thing I need to we need to give credit to is um, we talked about this early in the game with um, um, Mike Norvell winning on fourth and eight, and um, we, we were questioning like, normally I'm more aggressive about going for it, but I agree with you. Like that's probably too much to be going up for, you know, but. They didn't convert. They got to stop the. They got the missed field goal, but then his aggressiveness. It's who he is. Going for it down fourteen to nine. Most people are going to argue it's way too early in the game to be going for it, but that is a fantastic way to go for it because Oklahoma was not expecting it at that point. You score, Wyatt Rector, QB one, um, but um, you go for it there. You get within three points. You don't have to worry about the. You're not chasing those points later in the game. Because you went for it when Oklahoma was not expecting it. So the aggressive mentality from Norvell right there paid off. And that's who he is. That's he's gonna play the numbers. He's gonna play he's gonna play guts, yes, but he's also gonna play the analytics and get a feel of like this is when I need to do this because I'm not gonna be chasing these points later because that helped because you got a tie game late in the game and you have to worry about going for two later in the game because eventually Norvell saw if I do it now, I won't be chasing points later. You talk about the two-point conversion? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I I didn't mind it at the time because not only was OU not prepared for it, but they also – that you knew you were going to score a lot of points in this game, so why not be informed about what your future decisions will be rather than having to figure it out later? That, that's, a, that's another piece to it. I mean, sometimes the situations don't dictate it, but sometimes you say, okay, a lot of points are going to be scored in this game. If we do it now, we can kind of know if we need to do it again in a future score. So it, it worked out for them. They've had some good two-point plays this year. They've been a successful play for FSU. So, uh, 
yeah, didn't mind it. They, they love them some Wyatt Rector, though. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny to me every time it, it happens. But, I mean, we've seen that play how many times during practice? So it was fine to see, finally see that happen in the game because <laughs> we can actually yeah. talk about it now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, boy. I, I am uh, – you guys can probably feel it in my voice, but I am uh, feeling pretty rough. I've been, I've been feeling a little uh, under the weather this week. So trying to get through it. Uh, apologies for for my nasaliness. I sound like the lead singer of Green Day, probably. Uh, but uh, let's talk about uh, Ryan Fitzgerald real quick. We'll we'll wrap up w- with that and then kind of talk about the NFL draft guys. But uh, Fitzgerald, you wrote about it, Essen. What what a uh, redemption for him. I mean, the fact I feel like no one's mentioned him in like eight weeks, and that's a good thing. When the kicker's not being talked about at all, when the kicker's not being asked about in the press conference very much. Like, that's a really good thing because uh, that means he's making his kicks. I mean, um, one person talked about um, Fitzgerald at, at the hospitality room the night before. Just made an off-the-cusp joke. Yeah. Um, he's going to hit the game-winning field goal, and it happened. So I'm going to pat myself on the back. Um, my um, magic of predicting stuff is back, as you remember, earlier in the season. We'd love to see it. <laughs> Early in the season, I got back-to-back games, I predicted the kickoff return. And then um, two touchdowns for Michael Pitt- Micah Pittman. So um, I'm not saying I'm a genius, but I'll let Carter say it. You're a genius. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm humble as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, but... Hey, man, got to give the guy props. I mean, I don't think anyone – like, there were points in the season where we're like, so who's this backup kicker? He's a walk-on. He's made, like, a 70-yard field goal in high school. Should we write a story about him? Like, is this someone that we got to think about as potentially playing? Ryan Fitzgerald changed his approach mid-season mechanically. And for him to recover the way he did, I mean, that – like – not only mentally, but mechanically, he he had to kind of go through it. So, uh, really impressive there. Uh, and, and I will say, um, credit to Norvell and the staff. They never they never wavered from um, supporting Ryan. They mentioned a couple times, you know, we'll evaluate in practice because he was doing well in practice. They believed in him. They stuck with him. There was a few times during the season where Norvell went for it on fourth down more than he might have in um, you know the different cases. But they believed they're in Ryan. They tried to rebuild his confidence. They kept believing him, kept going back to him, kept going back to him. And one thing we need to talk about is they ran the ball three straight times instead of putting the ball in Jordan Travis's hands. Once they got down after a Johnny Wilson catch in the red zone, they wanted to make sure Oklahoma took their timeouts and they wanted to make sure there was as little time left as possible. But they could have gone for a touchdown a little earlier and ended the game. But... Even the last run could have just been a throw by Jordan Travis, like roll him out a little bit. Because yep. I think at that point, Oklahoma was out of timeouts. So you could have just been like, yeah, well, even if we throw it out of bounds, the clock will stop and we can kick the, take the points. But they decided to go for it. They decided that they were going to play it safe. And if you remember, the last play was after um, Turrentine, the third down play where Trey Benson lost three yards, went out, and they had to bring the backup in. And they still decided to run the ball instead of trying to um, giving the ball to Jordan Travis and going for a touchdown. So that's how much faith they had in Fitzgerald. They're like, yeah. And it was a shorter kick, so it's not like it was a long kick, 32 yards. But that's how much faith that they had in him that they were going to be able to kick that. Well, you, it also made me think they learned their lesson against NC State. <laughs> that too, <laughs> like, yeah. You don't need to go for a touchdown if you don't have to because a field goal lead with 40 seconds left and no timeouts, that's still a pretty good lead, you know? So, uh, I mean, you at least can't really be beat in, in a conceivable way. They'd have to tie it. But uh, but I, I felt like that was the right move there to, to, to kind of hold out, kick the field goal. It's... It didn't work for you against NC State, so let's let's not risk it now. But uh, uh, and and this at this point too, the difference between NC State and now is that against NC State they had zero faith in Ryan Fitzgerald. This game they they did. So, uh, but but let's talk about uh, NFL Draft twenty twenty four season twenty twenty three. 
2023. Yeah, I'm really looking ahead now. <laughs> uh, but 2023, a lot of it could depend on three players that are going to have decisions about whether to come back. Jamie Robinson. You could, are you going to argue four? Four. Um, if you include Johnny Wilson in that. Yeah, Johnny Wilson as well. Yeah, I'll throw him in there. Johnny Wilson, Jared Verse, Fabian Lovett, Jamie Robinson. Uh, those are four guys. If you bring back two of them, that's huge. Uh, it, I mean, even if you bring back one of them, that's awesome. But 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 two or more, I think, is is what is seen as wow. Okay, that that is a big deal. Uh, and I think we we have a feeling that Johnny Wilson will come back, but who knows? Maybe this last game will you know, make him reconsider things a little bit. But uh, Jamie Robinson's talked about how he's going to probably announce his decision January 1st. Jared Verse and uh, Fabian Lovett could come later. Uh, the deadline for these guys is not until January 16th. So they've got a couple weeks. It doesn't have to be within the next week. Uh, and we've seen surprises before. I mean, I remember Jay Sean Corbin leaving for – the draft last year, people thought, oh, that, that seems like a, a premature uh, decision. Uh, and I think in the NIL era, we've seen guys come back that maybe we didn't think would come back. Fabian Lovett, Jamie Robinson uh, being two of those. Last last After last year, we thought maybe maybe they'd go uh, to the NFL. They, they came back. Uh, so. And we've also seen players go to um, declare for the draft, come decide to come back, opt out of the bowl game. And decide to leave. So, not talking about any. Yeah, yeah. Not talking about any uh, wide receiver that the, um, Florida State's be playing to begin the season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's funny, but but I I think uh, when it comes to FSU, uh, if Johnny Wilson doesn't come back, I, I don't think it's a huge deal. I don't think it's like oh dang because they're going to be pretty pretty. You know, uh, good shape next year at receiver. I think they're they're adding some of the right guys. Maybe you go in and get a portal guy, but you know, Winston Wright being healthy again, adding Hikey Williams to the mix, uh, guys being a year older like a Darion Williamson, a Malik McLean, a Deuce Span, uh, Micah Pittman. Uh, I would be concerned if Johnny Wilson left, just because you don't know for sure who will be the number one. But I don't think it's as big of a deal as if Jamie Robinson, Fabian Lovett, or Jared first leave. And that's because you look at those positions, right? You, you look at Jamie Robinson, he leaves, they're really thin at safety. They've got issues there. Like, he, I don't know who your starting safeties are. They might be Akeem Dent, and they might be uh, Shaheem Brown, but Jamie Robinson's a huge void to fill. You don't have any depth at that position if he leaves, uh, and I don't think those other two guys are, are really particularly close to his level. So, uh, I, I think there'd be issues there, especially since there are questions at quarterback as well. I think you'd, you'd, you'd have some questions and concerns in the secondary, uh, D tackle Fabian Lovett leaving, uh, it would be a big loss, but I think when you get Braden Fisk in there and you've got guys like Joshua Farmer, uh, coming up the ranks, uh, Malcolm Ray, right? I, I think you're you're thin there, but you can add portal guys to where you know D tackle. It's not gonna be. It's not like you're losing, you know, uh, a, a, a first round pick there, right? And it's not like you don't have some guys in the ranks there that that could be good. Maybe your depth is a little worse. Uh, <clears throat> Jared Verse, I do think that'd be a huge loss. Uh, that's someone who I think could be a first-round pick. He could maybe just be a second-round pick. And, yeah, he, he has some room to grow. Uh, but just pass rush-wise and playmaking ability, you know, that that guy had a tremendous impact on this team. Uh, and I think we know of a guy who can step into his role next year. That's Patrick Payton. But beyond him, can a Derek McClendon uh, – can he get six or seven sacks? I, I don't know. You know, can uh, some of those backups step up? Byron Turner, can, can they become, you know, what we think they could uh, or what we, we would want them to become? I, I don't know. So 
Uh, I think the defense, you know, has the most questions. The offense, they've got guys that can fill whoever leaves. You know, Trayshawn Ward decides to leave. They got Trey Benson, Lawrence Tofili, Kazai Holmes. If Johnny Wilson leaves, they got some receivers. Uh, Even Gibbons and uh, Emmanuel leaving, they've got some guys to plug in there now. But defensively, I I got some questions and – makes me wonder uh, what would happen if, if those three guys all leave. Yeah, if all three leave, you're in a hard spot. Um, you know, I think, like you mentioned, Fabian is the one, not saying discrediting it, like how his importance, but he's the one you could stand to lose the mo- least. Um, but, yeah, verse Fabian Love is, uh, I mean, sorry, Jimmy Robinson is probably the most important one to get back. If you get him back, and you could ask, I don't think Florida State's on the transfer portal yet. I think they're still got to add a corner. They still got to add a you know a few more positions. So I don't think they're done in there yet. So I I still think the secondary is going to get some help moving forward. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I I got some uh, breaking news for you. What's that? Sam Call has announced he is transferring to Texas A and M. Congrats. I I just know that uh, Florida State fans feel a certain way about uh, how his experience went at FSU. They also feel a certain way about Texas A&M. Uh, so I'm sure people are going to be having fun with that announcement online. Uh, it, sometimes you just see things and you crack up like, oh, man, how are people going to react to this? This is one of them. I, you mentioned Keishon Booty when he announced – Oh, you know what? I'm opting out, uh, going to the draft now. You just think the chaos of these decisions sometimes, they make me laugh just because I know how angry it'll make some people or, or how uh, people might react to it. So uh, it's just, it's just kind of funny to me. But uh, yeah, one more, one more thing on uh, 2023. Uh, what do you think is like, I think a lot of people were saying, oh, ACC championship. Oh, college football playoff. What do you think is the reasonable expectation? Is that reasonable? Or should people slow their roll a little bit? I think ACC championship is on the table. I think that is perfectly reasonable. We saw Clemson against Tennessee yesterday. Um, even with the quarterback switch, there's some obvious questions about them. Who's their playmakers? How's their defense going to look? Um, Tennessee looked pretty good against them yesterday, so... They're going to be replacing some players. They're going to lose some seniors. So that'll be interesting. They don't use the transfer portal at all. So they depend solely on recruiting. And that recruiting class, um, GNIL, as um, someone likes to call it, um, was not in the top 10 this year. So they're not getting the reinforcements they usually get. So they're going to be depending on players to get a lot better and improving. So I think the ACC championship, especially with the divisions gone, that's going to be a major key for Florida State, is in play. You can definitely win that. That should be the goal, which means college football playoffs is in the offing as well. You have an opportunity for that. I'm, I'm going to say they're a playoff contender, but I'm going to stop saying short of their championship contender because, well, one, Georgia and Alabama are a different level. Two, um, I have, we have concerns about the defense. Legitimate concerns about the defense. Yeah. What's interesting is with the new format next year, they probably have to beat Clemson twice. Yeah. They've got to beat them on a road, on the road, and they've got to beat them on a neutral site. We watched Cade Klubnik last night, saw some good, saw some bad. They'll bring back Will Shipley. They'll bring back those young receivers. Uh, they're not the Clemson of old. They don't have Trevor Lawrence. They don't have Justin Ross, T. Higgins, Travis Etienne. They don't have those guys. They don't have the D line that they used to have, you know, back in 2018. That was so monstrous. So this is a very beatable Clemson team, but FSU has its warts too, and asking them to go 13 and 0 will be hard, and asking them to beat Clemson twice will be hard, especially on the road. Now, their schedule, very, very favorable. I mean, there's really not much to worry about other than Clemson and LSU, in my opinion. 
Those are really the only two games you got to worry about for the most part. Uh, but 13-0 will be hard. I think they've got a very good chance to make the AC championship and to win it. Even if they lose to Clemson, they should beat everybody else. I would be shocked if they weren't in the ACC championship game next year. But I mean, to get in the playoff, another thing to look at is there's going to be a lot of great college football teams next year. Now, there's not going to be a 2019 LSU or 2020 Alabama probably, but there's going to be – I mean, you think about even Washington with Michael Penix coming back, Oregon with uh, Bo Nix, USC with Caleb Williams. I mean, the Pac-12 will be the strongest it's been – in a long time, uh, the Big Twelve, I think, is in a position to to, to do fairly well. Uh, SEC is always going to have two or three teams that are contending for a playoff spot, uh, and then the Big Ten. Michigan is the strongest it's been in a long time. Ohio State, obviously, uh, is is going to be in that mix. So there's going to be a lot of teams to to compete for. Twelve and one may not be enough to make the playoff of the ACC. Uh, Eleven and two, uh, definitely not. But uh, so I think they can. They will get in the AC championship game. Whether they'll win that, whether they'll get in the playoff, not sure yet. But I think you and me both agree it's really going to come down to this defense. Yeah, because the offense is going to win shootouts. But what happens if an offensive lineman goes down? What happens if Jordan Travis is not a hundred percent? What happens if? The running room can't find operating room because we've seen that this year where they struggle to run. Um, then you got then you're gonna depending on a shootout. So there's a lot of variables. Yes, the offense can be great. Yes, you could you know they're gonna put up points, but you can't expect to be on every single game. We've seen we saw Joe Burrow struggle at times. We saw um, Tua struggle at times. We saw Bryce Young struggle at times. So we've seen these great teams have great quarterbacks and then they struggle because. It's hard to be perfect every single game. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing. It's like being perfect for 13 games is really hard. Like we saw it this year. You get injuries. You get, you know, one team is really hot at a certain point. If Florida State played Clemson now, maybe they beat them. But because they played them the time that they did, they lost. LSU, if if, if FSU had played LSU – in early November, they would have lost that game probably. But because they played them early in the season, they won. Like, a lot of it's timing. A lot of it is, you know, what, what's, what, what does your team look like health-wise? It's hard to do that on a consistent basis. And I think there's a little too much variance with this defense. You're going to give up points a lot. But, uh, I mean, Syrac- but again, Syracuse is another you're example. only playing. You what? Syracuse is another example. If they played them earlier in the season. Yes. Yeah. Play them early in the season. Who knows? Uh, if you play NC State later in the season and they don't have Leary, I mean, maybe maybe that goes differently. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, ultimately, uh, looking at next year, the defense is, is going to be the concern. I have no – I think this offense will be one of the best in college football once again. Uh, they're going to be fired on all cylinders. Jordan Travis has a chance to, to win the Heisman Trophy or, or be a finalist for the Heisman Trophy next year. And I think the fact that he'll be in a lot of shootouts, it could inflate his stats a bit to where he'll he'll have more uh, numbers to, to kind of have that seat at the Heisman table. But, uh, but the defense, what happens if they play Clemson? They give up 41 points. Like, that's asking a lot out of your offense. So, that's my concern. I, this defense, I'm not. I am not sold on them, man. And and uh, I, I hate to be a Debbie Downer on the new year, but uh, but I'm just. If you're looking at one reason why they wouldn't, it's because of that. But don't want to take away from the fact that hey, like eleven wins, ten or eleven wins is the floor next year. How crazy is that? Like to say, like imagine if. June of 2022, I told you, hey, 11 wins might be the floor for the 2023 season. You, you'd be like, what? So, uh, yeah, it's I expect it to be another special season. Uh, expectations, we'll see how this team deals with it because there's going to be some high expectations for them next year. I mean, you talk about June of, you know, when I took this job in August, they were joking like, oh, you're, gonna, you're going to cover a Florida State team. That's not even going to get to a bowl game again. 
Like that's where it was before the season. Most people had Florida State around seven, five, seven, eight wins. And if one of the things bounced the other way, when you're looking at the beginning of the season, you're looking at a team that could easily have finished with five wins if Jordan Travis got hurt against Louisville or stuff like that. So yeah, you're looking at a team that could have easily not been a bowl team if you um, some people probably said before the season to finish with ten wins this year, have a chance at ten, eleven wins next year. Wow. Yeah, and, and then you're starting to see recruiting heat up. 2024 class, they're in a great spot there. Transfers, they continue to, to do well there. The, the trajectory's upward. There's not, like, the only problem you could foresee is, will there be a plateau at some point? Uh, it's very hard to break through among the college football elite. Uh, a lot of the ones who do, they don't stay there. A lot of times it's the same three or four teams. Uh, but FSU being in the ACC, a weaker conference, they've got kind of a cakewalk to go to the playoff if they just handle Clemson. Oh, definitely. Uh, so, you, as you mentioned, uh, breaking, but, into, breaking into the lead is hard. Kansas State had a 10 nothing lead, and it was 21-10 at halftime. Two minutes into the second half, it's 35-10 Alabama. Oh, uh, good gosh. It, yeah, it was... It was ten nothing, and they they almost scored another touchdown. I think they went turn, turnover on downs. Yes, yeah. they did. In the in the on the goal line, Alabama scores um, before the yeah. half, and then now um, Jesus, wow, um, they scored. They got an interception in their um, in the in plus territory and went up thirty five ten. So yeah, it's really hard to break the college football elite, and we're seeing an example of that. Like no matter what, Alabama. This is Alabama's down season. Two losses, and they're still beating a number nine yeah. team. Kansas State's a good team. Yeah, so uh, I mean they they've had a fantastic season. So yeah, it's it's we'll see. But Florida State's done it before. They were the college football league for many many years. They've got all the things going for them with where they're located and the brand that they have. Uh, just got to break through, and I think we're seeing it. I, I think they can get there. Uh, but twenty twenty three will be a huge year because I think twenty twenty four could be a rebuilding year for them. We don't talk about that enough. They're going to lose a lot of guys after 2023. They'll lose Travis, for sure. Benson. They could lose Robert Scott. They could lose Trey Benson. They could lose Johnny Wilson. They could lose, you know, uh, a lot of their guys on defense. Uh, so, and that's it. That's and like what you mentioned rebuild. earlier, the transfer portal is a new thing. NIL is a new thing. You could be looking at roster um, attrition based off, like, you know, Hey, Malik McLean didn't get any playing time in 2023. I'm out. You know, like so, just an example, but you could see a lot of wide receivers leave me because of that. You know, um, Simpson, Hakeem Williams, great signees. If they don't get playing time in the new age, as freshmen, they don't get playing time. They could be like, well, you know, the school down the road is offering me a million dollars. That's an inflated amount. But, you know, just throwing an example out there to go play and I'd play right away. So... You got to be careful these days as well. Yeah, no, for sure. I uh, I think it'll be twenty twenty three, huge year, and uh, it will kind of set the stage for what they can accomplish after that. It's it's got to be a year where you got to go for it all. We see it at the transfer portal; they went all in. We compared it to the Rams; they're all in on twenty twenty three. That's the only year they're caring about right now. And uh, they're going to have high expectations. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, let, let's let's wrap things up just a little bit. Uh, I'll talk about my crazy cheese it Bull experience here in a, in a second. But first, women's basketball, huge win over North Carolina. Essen, uh, any, any thoughts you want to give on that? Yeah, if they're not ranked next week, there's something wrong with the system. Like 13-2, and two, <laughs> just beat the number 13 team, competed against UConn. Um, they played really well this year. Tanaya Latson might be the best um, freshman in college basketball. She's in the argument. ESPN, There's no might be. There's no might be. She, she is. is the best. She <laughs> is the best freshman. She's um, ESPN had their rankings of um, um, her hoops. They had the top 25 players. She came in at number 25. So, And I'd argue she could be top 20, top 15 if you really want, you know. I get they want more in the resume, but you could argue right now she's a top 10, top 15 player in college basketball as a freshman on Florida State, averaging 24 
point, I think, seven points right now leading the ACC. Ridiculous. She is just killing it out there. Um, and then you have Taylor O'Brien back from her graduate transfer, Taylor O'Brien back from her injury. You have KK out there. You have um, just a, a team with a plethora of talent. Great head coach. They have a system that's going to get them points. They're seventh in the nation right now in points per game. They are a dangerous team. And at twelve and th- um, 13 and 2, they're stacking wins. They're stacking wins. They have a ch- uh, 2 and 0 in ACC, trying to go 3 0 for the first time since 08 09. They are a dangerous team that can score with anyone that is playing for positioning in the NCAA tournament and think they can make noise out there. Yeah, uh, there's been a lot of dejection about the men's basketball team this year, deservedly so, but you want something to, to look about, look at. Look at women's basketball, man. This team is exciting with their with their style. Uh, Tonight, Latson is fun to watch. KK Timpson, probably the most improved player in the ACC. Uh, it's just a, it's a fun team, and they're going to be playing in a lot of huge games here in the next couple months with ACC play really starting up and. Uh, they were preseason picked to finish ninth in the ACC. It was one of the lowest preseason finishes they were predicted to, to finish, and I, I know that was something that they were they felt really slighted about. They thought, "Hey, man, I, I don't know about that." Uh, and so, uh, I think they've got a real chance to crush that and, and finish in the top five. It's, it's a very good conference. It'll be hard to, but this is a team that, that can be, you know, a top six seed. Six seed in the uh in the NCAA tournament and uh, and really make some noise so uh both of their losses Oak State and uh and UConn they're really really close I mean they could be 15 to 0 right now uh but you know here they are 13 to 2 but uh, yeah talk, talk about men's basketball they're, they're playing Duke right now we're, keep, we're keeping an eye on it they're down 47 35 with 15 50 left in the second half uh, they've played a lot of inspired basketball lately. They saw them beat Notre Dame, uh, saw them beat uh, uh, Louisville, uh, USC Upstate a little bit earlier this month. They, they're stringing some wins together. Now they sit at four and ten uh, overall, two and one in ACC play. Probably will finish uh, with a loss today, but uh, they're not getting blown out anymore. They're not losing to embarrassing opponents anymore. They're, they're kind of losing the games they expect to, winning the games they expect to. Uh, good. Yeah, you know, good for them. They're, they're finally kind of figuring out. And and, and a few uh, – really next month, uh, they're going to get Baba Miller back. So, you know, I, I think they're finally playing at a, at a level where you can actually watch them and, and enjoy them a little bit. And now that Baba Miller is joining the mix here soon, I think uh, – Leaves them at a, at a pretty good place. Yeah, no, like you mentioned, um, they are they're hanging with Duke. You know, twelve point game in that state um, in that arena against a top twenty team, not easy. So they're they're hanging in there. You know, we'll see what the final score is, obviously, and see what happens there. But um, they play Georgia Tech next Saturday. They win that game. You know, they're three and two in ACC play January eleventh. They play Wake Forest at Wake Forest. That's when Bob and Miller will be back. You're looking at a great chance of getting a favorable seed, and um, you know if they close, if Bob and Miller comes back and contribute, contribute what we think we, he can, and what the national um, audience thinks he can, national media does. You know, we're looking at a team that could close out the season well. Still a long shot for a tournament, very long shot because those quadrant four losses are not great. But if you could pick up a couple of quadrant one losses. Go to um, get to the ACC tournament. You probably have to win it, or at least make the championship. But you give yourself a chance, and it's a season that could have easily been lost. You got to win the ACC championship at this point. There, there really is no way they're going to pick up losses uh, to where they'll probably be. Uh, <clears throat> you know, they'll get at least seventeen or eighteen losses. I would think by the end of the year. So they've got to win the tournament. They'll be below five hundred, uh, but. You know, I just think this season's about building for future years. It's why Leonard Hamilton has refused to kind of change his 
demanding system around these players who are, are not uh, quite ready for it is he wants them to be ready for it two years down the line when, when it is important. Because if he compromises this season with these younger players in a limited depth, then maybe they won't be ready for what he has in store for them one or two years down the road. So it's been an interesting kind of uh, case study because he's kind of, I believe he's kind of sacrificed some wins this season to help two years from now. And I think that's the right call because no matter what, you're going to have a lost season regardless. So why not build toward the future, uh, even if that means, you know, not, not playing as well as you maybe could be. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that uh, – well, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, you go ahead. I was going to say one thing is we could call – it is a lost season, yes. But um, even in a lost season, they have a chance like, you know, yes, tournament – NCAA tournament, you probably have to um, win the NCAA the, – the ACC tournament. But we can't rule out an NIT run at this point. It's still a long shot. But they've kind of um, put themselves – if they close out the season well with Bobo – if Bobo can make the impact, he can. You look, you have a chance. It's – and you, maybe that's, you know, that would be a huge accomplishment from this year as well, getting to NIT, because 0-4, no one would have predicted that. Still hard to predict that right now, but I'm, I'm saying there's a chance. Not saying it's going to happen. It's a slim so chance. Tell me there's a chance. It's a slim chance, but, you know, well, how do you motivate a player? Hey, if we get to NIT this year, think about what everyone said about us this, you know, I'm sure that's what's going on, in the, you know. I don't think they're going to pivot to NIT just yet, but they're like, if we win the ACC tournament, we have a chance. So, before we go, I have to talk about it, don't I? You have I, to. I, I have to. I can't just leave people here thinking, is he going to talk about it? <clears throat> but what a strange, hilarious, amazing, eventful week it was. Let's, start, let's start off by saying we got there Sunday night. You fit, wrapped up your um, Crum and Hook story. And you yep. did not get enough. Did not get a ton of rest. So the entire week, you were playing catch up with sleep. You were feeling under the weather. Um, yep. Let's let's set that background, and now let's get into what happened. Yeah, I've been sounding like this all week. I've just been a mess and not sleeping. Kind of a rough week. Kind of, kind of just like, oh man, I had to fly back on Christmas. Uh, just just kind of bummed out. Uh, and then I thought. Monday would be the highlight of my week because we went and interviewed the the, the players, the coaches, and uh, I, I was uh, talking with Alex Atkins about dogs for 20 minutes. Just dogs. Like, we would just talk about his dog, Juco, and whether I should get a dog and all this stuff. And I was like, man, this is the highlight of my week, uh, getting to talk to Alex Atkins about dogs for 20 minutes. Like, all right, cool. No, that was not the highlight of my week because uh, I believe it was Tuesday. I we were we were kind of talking with uh, this guy at the Cheez It Bowl in in the hospitality suite, and he told me something that kind of alarmed me. And I, I just I didn't think about it. I, I just I went to bed, woke up, and then later in the day, I thought, you know what, that was kind of funny that he said that, and and a little weird. So I'm just gonna tweet it. I bet a few. I bet a few people will find it funny. Well, I I tweeted out and uh, let me find it. I'm gonna pull it up uh, so that people will know what I'm referencing. I, I put really valuable information. A cheese it bowl representative told me last night that there's no such thing as cheese its. One cheese it is a cheese it. Two or more of the cheese it are called cheese it crackers, not cheese its. You're welcome. Well, chaos ensued. Let me let me just say, um, I was at um, that was on Tuesday, I believe. Um, you sent that tweet out because I was at the um, the fam- the fun spot for the um, OAU and um, FSU players were going on rides with kids, and you know, boys and girls um, club, and it was a cool event. You skipped it because you were not feeling well. Um, I get back to the hotel. I haven't had a chance to look at my phone on Twitter because I'm, you know, keep paying attention to this stuff. In two separate group chats, I'm getting, um, I'm reading a tweet from Carter Carroll's. I'm like, what's going on over here? <laughs> it was so funny. I mean, it like, it got to a point where I had to like basically just 
I had to like, at first I was like, oh, I want to see who's replying to this. And then it got to a point where I was getting a notification every second. Boom, boom, boom. This guy responded. This guy responded. This guy quote tweeted. Got to a point where I said, all right, I'm going to create rules for myself. I'm only going to look at my phone once every 30 minutes. And then I'm going to spend like 10 minutes on it to get caught up. And then I'm going to set it down for 30 minutes. And then I'm going to get back on it for 10 minutes. Like it was just so overwhelming because I'm trying to write – you know, this story about, uh, uh, you know, about the athletic directors at OU and FSU, you know, having a close relationship. It was, it was a longer story. And I'm like, I can't even focus this right now because my phone is malfunctioning on me. Uh, so that was funny. But then it got it just took a life on its own. And, uh, you know, uh, the ESPN people and uh, celebrities talking about it and and you know, making it kind of a meme on Twitter. I just looked at it's at 3.7 million views. They, they're doing news segments about it. And then Dan Orlovsky, who's calling the FSU OU game, comes in. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to mention it on the broadcast, basically. And I'm like, uh, oh, okay. And so then I tell all my family, oh, my gosh, we gotta we got to record the game, see if they, they mention it. And and he, and he did a little bit, but uh, then they mentioned it in the Alamo Bowl broadcast. Uh, but yeah, it just it took a life on its own. It was really funny, and the, the Cheez It Bowl. I, I mean, there's something weird that happens at their bowl game every year. I guess this ended up being one of them. Uh, but they were really cool. They were good, good sports about it because people were really going at their heads for the whole week telling them that that representative should be fired and, you know, how dare they try to change the English language. I had people coming at me thinking that I was like the owner of Cheez-It and, and saying like, you know, F you, how dare you do this to us? And I'm thinking, what is going on? Like, why are people so mad about this? It's not a big deal, guys. It's, yeah. it's, it's just and it's just a snack. <laughs> it's just a snack. Uh, um, hope and- the, I hope the Cheez-It Bowl didn't hear me say that. It's just a snack, guys. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As the uh, new Cheese It Bowl representative, uh, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> definitely take that back. But no, um, it's a lifestyle. It Sorry. Up, <laughs> it ended up. I, I didn't think this anything was going to happen, but uh, you know, uh, I, I also mentioned the Empire State Building got in my mentions and was talking about, yeah, we're going to light up the sky in red and yellow. And I'm thinking, what is happening? But uh, it ended up at the end of the game, uh, one, one of the uh, Cheez-It Bowl uh, guys, uh, Sam Gardner, he uh, got up after the post-game press conference and presented me a hull of cheese uh, uh, leather jacket with a note from Prince Chedward and, uh, there was a standing ovation, right? Like, I don't know what I don't. I kind of blacked out. I was thinking, wow, what an honor from Prince Chedward. I, I don't know uh, what's going on. I mean, I just started giggling, and I got all these terrible photos of me posted online in the jacket, uh, where I just look like a a little kid uh, that just got awarded cotton candy or something. But uh, no, it was it was really funny. Uh, I hope my followers on Twitter you know, aren't like annoyed with how much I tweeted it about Cheez-Its, but, uh, or Cheez-It crackers, sorry. Uh, but, oh man, um, as a representative, yeah, I, Jesus, how do you do that? Yeah, that was, that was a close one. Uh, but no, man, it was, it was a fun week and, uh, it's something that I'll, I'll remember for, you know, <laughs> a good while. It was such a weird, funny experience. Yes. His official name is now Cheez-Its. Jesus, yeah, or, uh, yeah, dude, if you guys haven't already, just look at the responses. Like, I don't even, I don't even think I deserve any credit for this. It's the responses that made this so funny. I mean, the amount of just like anger people, like, so many people should be should be like stand up comedians on Twitter. Like, I don't even understand how they come up with this stuff. I was laughing so much. I was in all these group chats of people just like reaching out and saying like, what is going on? And, and people sharing some of the other tweets. So if you haven't already look at that, it was, it was really funny, but uh, 
a great end to a, a fun season to cover, man. That was our first Florida State football season. Uh, we made it. We made it. We're alive. We're sleep deprived, but we're alive. And uh, it's fun, man. I hope I hope you guys enjoyed it. We we really appreciate y'all uh, checking out our work as always. Uh, it was a really good season for us. Uh, numbers wise, not to, not a two hour horn, but it was also a good season uh, for FSU. Uh, that they their best season since 2016. You could argue it was an even better season than 2016. And uh, there's a lot of optimism for the future. So it was uh, cool to be on that journey with you guys. One thing I will add um, is I appreciate you guys this year. This is a great year, 2022. Got to spend a few months with the Florida State, State fan base. Um, it was great. Now we'll say um, on Thursday, January um, January fifth, FSU women are home. Go watch Tony Latson play. That stadium, that it. arena should be packed. It should. Like that is the best college basketball player at this university right now. You ain't wrong. I would like to. I would like to see. Uh, I don't know. I would like to see her go one on one with. Uh, uh, I, I always thought it'd be funny if, if one of us played her well one. How badly we'd be would we be cooked? Oh, I'd be done. Uh, I would be. On, we, I would be out be, for the season. Yeah, I would be opting out of that experience. Um, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, that's all we got for you guys today. Really appreciate y'all following along all season. Please check us out at tallassie.com if you haven't already, and please leave us a rating and a review. Uh, tell us what you think about us, only if it's positive things. Uh, but have a happy new year, guys, and thank you for listening. Thank you guys so much.